0: Imagine that this week we heard some amazing news. Uh, Underneath the famous Globe Theater, if you're a Shakespeare fan, you know all about that. Underneath the famous Globe Theater, there was a script for a lost Shakespeare play that was discovered. Uh, And Shakespeare fans from all over the world, they're, they're just losing their minds. They can't believe it. They're already obsessed with all of his works, and then they're like, something new? And they're just losing their mind, and actors and directors are just drooling, trying to get their hands on a copy of a Shakespeare play that's never been heard, seen, performed before. They just can't believe it. But then, tragedy. Uh, The the script, as they examine it, they see it's been damaged beyond repair, and um, so the the fourth act of the play is just beyond repair, uh, destroyed, and people are just devastated. Uh, but then there's some hopeful voices uh, that say, you guys, this, this play is, is amazing. The, the first three acts and then the final fifth act, it's, it's stunning, it's beautiful, it's, it's, it's powerful, it's inspiring. This, this play still needs to be staged. And so people are like, okay, well, how do you stage the play without the fourth act right there in the middle? And so um, there's two ideas that are put forth. One was, hey, we've got a lot of talented people who know Shakespeare and they're gifted writers. Let's get a team of, of writers together and they'll compose a fourth act for the play and then it'll be complete. But then that idea gets shot down right away because then that's gonna forever freeze the play into a form that Shakespeare maybe never intended and there's going to be words that he never wrote. So no, that's going to mess it all up. Don't do that. But then there's another idea that's put forth. Um, Let's give the key roles in this play to highly trained and experienced Shakespearean actors, people who are committed to immersing themselves in the first three acts of the play and then the final fifth act of the play, and they're gonna immerse themselves in the language and the culture and all the ideas of Shakespeare and his time, and then they're gonna improvise. They're gonna work out this fourth act for themselves as a group. So it goes something like this. Uh, The first three acts and then the final fifth act, that will be the kind of guiding authority for what these actors are supposed to do as they improvise. So that way, if a character speaks or behaves in a way that seems inconsistent with where things started and then where it finished, like everybody will be able to tell, everybody will know like, eh, it didn't, quite, didn't quite do it. Um, if a theme of the play didn't quite reach its proper resolution in typical Shakespearean fashion, everybody would know it, you could just tell, something would be off. Um, so the actors would be responsible for entering into the story as it already stood and to know how it all comes together in the end and kind of standing in that middle place they would let that guide them as they improvised this missing fourth act. And in a lot of ways this picture is a story of what it is to be a Christian at this point in God's story. Uh, The biblical story, God's story that we've been talking about all summer long, it's like a five-act play and we already know what's happened before you and I got here. Um, Acts 1 through 3, creation and fall, and then the story of Israel, and then the story of Jesus, God with us. And then we also know where things are going in the final fifth act, where we, we, you know, the, the, the new heavens and the new earth. But you and I, as Christians, at this point in God's story, at this point in history, we live in between. We live in that middle place between what God's already done and then where God wants to take things. And we, the church lives according to the story so far, but also knowing where it's going. And uh, so knowing the story of God is really critical for Christ followers because only then are we going to be able to uh, live our lives in a way that's consistent with God's character, living our lives in a way that's consistent with what God's already done, but also where God wants to take things. Only then are we going to know if our lives are being consistent with the story that God's been authoring so far and where God's taking things. And so Christians, in a lot of ways, we're kind of improvising to the best of our ability based on the story of God. Our part in God's story hasn't been spelled out for us. The script is not written. It's kind of being written right now. So uh, to to know our part in God's story, we need to know that story, where where it's led up to, to this point, and also where it's going. But we don't just have the story of God. Christians also have the spirit of God. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who's with us and in us for this fourth act of God's story. The Spirit is the guiding authority who's leading us and directing us when we feel like there's this, all this blank space in front of us where we're going, God, how am I supposed to speak or act or respond in this kind of situation? We have the story, but even better, we have the author of that story. In us and with us and so uh, so I'm gonna be reading out of the first line of the book of Acts and uh, like like just before read along with me wherever you see bold text so this uh, Luke writes this he says in my former book Theophilus I, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven and after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the Apostles he had chosen after his suffering he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God, and then on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Man, how's that for a teaser trailer? Here's what's coming. So Luke, he's the author of the Gospel of Luke, which talks about the ministry of Jesus. And then uh, he's also the author of the book of Acts, which is almost like part two, which is then telling about the ministry of the church. And he starts off in this biography of the church saying, um, this is the beginning of all that Jesus began to do and teach. He says, "I, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So apparently Jesus had more to do. Um, And so then he's talking about that in the book of Acts. Here's all that Jesus began to do and teach But now Jesus has more to do he has more to do and more to teach than what was possible in that short three and a half years of his earthly ministry And so he's going to work now in a new mode in a new way Through the Holy Spirit who is going to be given to be working through his followers And so uh, Jesus's mission we're supposed to understand it wasn't complete Until the Holy Spirit was given, there was still work to do. That's what John the Baptist said about Jesus. He said, uh, The Father who sent me to baptize in and with water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in and with the Holy Spirit. So that was the work that Jesus came to do, and his work wasn't completed until the Spirit was given. And so um, this morning, I want to ask two questions about this part of Jesus's work. Question one, what does it mean uh, when we read the one who baptizes in and with the Holy Spirit? What does, that, what does that mean? And then question two, when does Jesus baptize us? So what and when? And so first, what does it mean to be baptized in and with the Holy Spirit? And are there, how do, are there ways to express what that means? So, for one thing, it means that this great promise of God has been fulfilled. This great promise that God made where He said, I'm going to pour out my Spirit upon all people. Joel 2 verse 28 says this, And it will come about after this, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. So, what we're meant to understand is that in Jesus, the great expectation that God's going to pour himself out on humans, that's being realized when the Spirit's being given. God kept his promise. He baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, meaning that word baptism means he immerses us, he plunges us under the surface, he overwhelms us, he inundates us. It's this really rich word. Jesus baptizes us in and with the Holy Spirit. So here's the gospel. Here's the good news just as people who went into the jordan river were overwhelmed with water the people that jesus is going to baptize in the spirit they are overwhelmed with the spirit they are inundated with the spirit they're immersed and plunged underneath the surface of everything that god is his life in us and with us jesus the baptizer he he dunks us he drenches us into the very life of the triune god the life that he himself enjoys he's now opened it up for us to say, this life that I enjoy, Father, Son, Spirit, the amazing relationship at the center of the universe, you now have access to this relationship. It's not just something I wanted to keep to myself. This has been God's plan all along to do this. In the beginning, we see that God creates a world so that he could be with us, But then after we broke faith with God, we lost that relationship that we had with God. And so ever since then, the biblical story has been God taking different steps to get closer and closer to us to recover what had been lost. And so Christians will talk about seeking God. Um, I'm I'm seeking God in this this season of my life. I'm taking time away from some other things. I just just wanna be close to God. But what we see is that God has been seeking us long before, we even, before that even occurred to us. Even in the beginning, in the, in the Garden of Eden, when we see that relationship get lost, what immediately happens? God goes looking after the rebels. He goes looking after the ones who, who rejected him. He's saying, where are you? Before we ever considered seeking God, God was already seeking us. God's always previous to anything that we would be doing in our relationship with him. He's always initiating. He's always chasing after us. He's always wanting to be closer to us. And now God wants to be closer than close, not just with us, but in us. And you don't get any closer than in. So Jesus baptizes us with, but also in the Holy Spirit. But what's that like when that happens? I like how um, Thomas Smale puts it. He says, um, it may be, for some of us, sudden and critical and sensationally transforming. It may be slow and quiet and spread out over a period of time. The Spirit is symbolized in Scripture as dew as well as by the wind. But even when the dew falls silently, it will make the leaves wet and fresh and sweet. I like that. It reminds me that being baptized by Jesus the Baptist is going to look different for different ones of us. We have, we come from different cultures, we have different personalities, we have different stories, and God knows how he made us, and so what, how how he's going to work in our lives, baptizing us in and with the Holy Spirit might not be the same as the person to our right and to our left. So it's really important that we don't, make our experience the standard for what everybody else is supposed to experience because then we can set them up to feel like maybe i'm a religious screw-up maybe i maybe i'm not doing this right but um, what we're doing is we're freezing our experience and saying well this is how it always has to be for everybody else but god knows how he made us and so he's going to work with the grain of of who he made us to be what's going to be the same for everybody is this experience of newness There's this new quality of life that God wants to bring. There's this freshness. There's this divine nearness that God is inviting us into, this different kind of intimacy, a different kind of vitality to our life. Um, This is really beautifully expressed in the hymn, Spirit of God, Descend Upon My Heart. It goes like this, Spirit of God, descend upon my heart, wean it from earth, through all its pulses move. Stoop to my weakness, mighty as thou art, and make me love thee as I ought to love teach me to love thee as thine angels love, one holy passion filling all my frame, the baptism of the heaven-descended dove, my heart an altar, and thy love the flame. That last line is so good. I love that. Um, So let's let's talk about this a, a, a bit with our neighbors. This is something we'll do from time to time, is just talk about where we're at with this. So how in your life would you say that you would be longing for a, a new kind of life with God? Um, a freshness, a divine nearness and intimacy, a different kind of vitality. Where, where are you at with this? What would you be hoping that God might want to do at this season in your life? All right, so we talked about what, what, what it is that the Holy Spirit does as he baptizes us. But now, um, when? When does that happen? When does Jesus the baptizer baptize us? And there's several possibilities. And each perspective is advocated by some serious um, students of scripture. Um, these are people who take this really seriously and they're trying to understand how it works. And they're not, they're not, they're not playing around. They really wanna um, they get down to the, the truth of it. And so um, you're probably familiar with one of these perspectives. Um, the three major options are the sacramental, the evangelical, and the charismatic. The sacramental, the evangelical, and the charismatic. So, first of all, in the sacramental option, uh, the belief is that we receive the Spirit when we're baptized in water. And this is, this is advocated by, to, by people who hold a really high view of the sacraments, things like baptism and communion. And they believe that baptism and, community, I mean, and, and communion, these things aren't just symbols but they they affect the reality that they're attached to and so when a person is sprinkled or lowered into water they would say yeah that's when jesus also immerses the person in his spirit then there's the evangelical option uh, and that's where people would say we receive the spirit when we say yes to jesus And this is held by people who hold a really high view of Christian confession and and the process of conversion. And so they would say when a person crosses the line of faith, and when they turn around and they put their faith in Jesus, God answers our yes with the yes of his spirit. And then there's the charismatic uh, perspective. And this is advocated by those who believe that people get baptized in the spirit sometime after following Jesus. And sometimes this is described as a second blessing. Maybe you've heard, heard that term before. Um, it's argued that, well, this was Jesus' experience. You know, he lived for a really long time before then he received the spirit. And they would say, we see examples of this happening in the book of Acts with disciples, people who um, you know, seem like they're Christians, but then they hadn't received the spirit yet. Um, so which of these three options is the correct one? Uh, sacramental, evangelical, or charismatic. I, and I, I'm really glad I didn't say Sacramento because when I, I kept, it, I kept almost saying it, but Sacramento. Um, so um, I've, I've been convinced that each of these options um, is wrong and each of these options is right. Um, what's wrong is that each of these options uh, works from the assumption that Jesus baptizes us only one time. And the logic is, um, well, we were baptized with water only once. So it's the same with the spirit. But Jesus was described as the one who baptizes us in the spirit. This is is present and ongoing continuous action that Jesus does. Uh, A helpful way to translate uh, this is Jesus keeps on baptizing us. Like when Jesus says, remain in me. You you may be familiar with that part in the last last part of John. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. Literally, it's keep on remaining in me. Keep on living in me. Keep on dwelling with me. Or um, when he says, all who come to me and believe in me, they'll never hunger and thirst again. Literally, it's all who keep coming to me, keep believing in me. These are the ones who will never hunger and thirst again or uh, when Paul echoes the heart of Jesus, when he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians, uh, literally it's keep on being filled. Uh, The image image is that you and I would be like like a cup and we would get drained at different points. We We would find ourselves empty and God doesn't want a relationship with us where we just come to him to receive something from him and okay, cool, thanks God, I'm good now, but it would be this ongoing dynamic relationship with him. Uh, where he's like, I want want to encounter you all the time on an ongoing basis. Jesus keeps baptizing us in the Holy Spirit. And why? Because Jesus is going to keep immersing us in his divine life until every fiber of our being radiates with the glory and the presence of God. God wants to finish what he started. He wants every part of us to be filled with his life and for us to be drawn closer and closer to him. Does that sound like good news to you? So the sacramental option is right. When we're baptized in water, Jesus baptizes us in the Spirit. And the evangelical option is right. When we say yes to Jesus, God answers our yes with his own yes with the Spirit. And the charismatic option is right. After we've been following Jesus for a while, God will give us his Spirit so that we can keep doing what he started in us. But all three options are also wrong. Our baptism in water when we say yes to Jesus and after we've been following Jesus for a while those are not the last times that Jesus is going to baptize us in the Spirit this is actually what we see happening in the book of Acts Jesus promises his disciples he says in a few days you're gonna be baptized with the Holy Spirit And then on the day of Pentecost, the risen Jesus pours out his spirit on that first group of disciples and Acts 2 tells us they were all filled with the spirit and they were given the ability to speak the good news of God in all kinds of languages that they previously, many of them did not know because there were people from all over the world who were gathered there and they needed to hear good news too. And so God gave them the ability to speak good news to all the people who were gathered there that day. But then a few days later, Jesus did it again. Acts 4:31, the place where they were gathered together was shaken, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and with great power the apostles were given te- giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. And as we read the rest of the story, we see Jesus baptizing them again, and again, and again for new moments new times when they had to cross over into new territory when there was new strength new courage new boldness new abilities new wisdom needed god would give them more of himself for that for that moment he didn't expect them to just go out there and do it by himself he's like i'm gonna give you this gift of myself again and again and again to do what i'm calling you to do picture a sailboat that you know, gets a great gust of wind, but then it's dead in the water, and before it's able to go any further, it needs another gust of wind again, and, and that's, that's you and I with our, our lives open to the Spirit. Say, God, you have a mission for me. You have a calling for me. You have things for me to do, but you're not asking me to go out there and do this in my own strength and my own abilities. You're in me and with me, so God, do it again. Do it again. So, um, let's, uh, let's talk with each other one more time. Uh, maybe the folks who, I I cut you off in the middle of your story, you can go first. So, um, are you glad that the sacramental, the evangelical, and the charismatic options are wrong in that Jesus doesn't baptize us once? Is that good news for you? Let's talk about that a little bit. All right. So, um, we talked about what, what, what is it that Jesus baptizes? What does it mean for Jesus to baptize us in the spirit? And when does he do that? But, but why, why does Jesus keep on baptizing us in the spirit? For one thing, Jesus' desire is to just keep on giving his life to us. He can't help himself. Jesus' prayer in John 17, 21, he says, My prayer is that I would be in them and they would be in us, as he's talking about the, the 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 relationship at the center of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's just he's just talking about this dynamic life that he's opened up to us, that I would be in them and then they would be in us. That's what he wanted. Jesus wants us to enjoy the relationship at the center of the universe. We were created out of that relationship, and we were also created for that relationship. We're incomplete until we're a part of that, and so that's what Jesus opened up to us. And so he says in John ten, 10 I've come that they would have life, and that they, would, they would have it abundantly. And Jesus says this is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. The life of God that Jesus invites us into is is a life with a relationship of, of Father, Son, and Spirit. And like any relationship, there's always greater depth to go to in that relationship. Just because you're married to someone, just because you have a child, just because you become best friends with somebody, there's always further to go. There's always deeper to go, and Jesus is inviting us deeper into the life of God. So he keeps baptizing us in his Spirit another reason we need to keep on being baptized is that we keep on quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul, he's an early church leader, and he calls out a warning to us. He says, do not quench the Spirit. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's like this candle here. Um, God's Holy Spirit in us and with us is, uh, is like God's light uh, to be with us, to give us guidance, but here's the thing, um, you and I, we can choose to we can choose to walk by this light. We can choose to walk in our own light, in our own take our own wisdom, take our own counsel. There might be times when God has led us and is calling us into a certain direction, and we go, I don't know if I want to do that. That, that doesn't sound that doesn't sound too great. And so instead of trusting the holy spirit to be the the king and lord and and guide and counselor in our life we choose our own counsel and we choose to step out of that light um and usually for a lot of us i mean you think about somebody in your life and and just they just egregiously sinned against like their, their their spouse and their family and they just they just walk out on them and they completely abandon them and they're just like i know that person how could they do that usually with that person, it wasn't like they woke up that morning and they're like, I'm going to completely wreck the lives of these people in my life that I, that, that I care about. Nobody wakes up like that. Um, usually what happens is for in whatever way that we've walked away from God's best from us, it's, it's these small exits away where we just go, eh, I know I'm supposed to be going this way, but this way sounds better. And, and, it, and, and just appealing to our own selfishness and selfish desires and laziness and things that we want to do, we, it's just, it's not one big dramatic, you know, slap in God's face, moving away from God. It's, it's usually a lots of like just little small exits, but over time, enough of those things accumulate to the point when we're no longer walking in the light of God, and then we would be in, we would be in darkness, and suddenly we would just wake up and realize like, I haven't, man, where's God? I haven't heard God's voice in a long time. I haven't sensed God's presence and and leading in a a long time. And we can even get mad at God for that. God, where are you? But what it comes down to was that really what happened was we kept saying no again and again and again to the point where God honored that no and said, okay, you don't want to walk in my light? Then I'm going to withdraw my light. And we have quenched the Spirit that's the picture. And so God needs to keep on baptizing us. But there's another reason for the keep on. Um, Paul writes, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for redemption. Again and again, we do things that wound and break the heart of God, especially in our relationships. We harbor anger against other people. We nurture bitterness. We gossip. We slander other people. And the Spirit is at work to bring unity among Christ's followers. But, and we're called, in Ephesians 4, verse 3, it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. But if we are refusing to work for reconciliation in our relationships with other people, and to work for healing and forgiveness, and to the best of our ability to know that we've done everything to salvage that thing, if we're refusing that, that really breaks God's heart. And the spirit is not going to honor our lives with his presence. He's going to make us miss him. We're going to feel the, the pull and the distance of that relationship because he's like, that's how I feel about this relationship gap between you and this other person. So again and again, we're in need of a cleansing bath. Again and again, we're in, we're in need of a showering of, of God's new grace. Now, if, if that's us, if we feel like yeah, uh, I, I could tell you about quenching the Spirit. Yeah, I could tell you about grieving God's Spirit. What's the way back? Is there hope? The Holy Spirit has a lot of different roles in our life, and um, one really beautiful role is what's called the Spirit of Adoption. Romans 8 tells us the Spirit that you received um, brought about your adoption to sonship um, or daughtership. Uh, it's just, that's a, that was we'll get into that at, an, at another time, what that means. But it's a, it's a really beautiful thing. Um, but we've been adopted with God as our Father, and by Him we cry out, Abba, which means Daddy, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. So the picture is this. Um, as a child, when you woke up in your room from a nightmare, as a child, when you woke up alone in the dark, wasn't it your instinct To cry out for your parents. Some of us are parents uh, currently of young children, and this is is our reality where we're we're the ones who are hearing, Dad, Mom. That's what the Holy Spirit prompts us to do in our relationship with the Father. Those moments when you and I are in darkness, those moments when when we've wandered far from God's heart, when we're, we're living in darkness, and then something in you cries out, Dad, I screwed up. I, I, I blew it again. I didn't, I didn't want to be here again, but here I am, and, and I'm in the darkness, and I, I know this is not where I'm supposed to be. I know this is not what I want for myself. I know this is not what you want for me. Dad, come and get me. That is the spirit of adoption at work in you. When um, your, your first step would be to, to cry out to God and just say, God, Dad, I miss you. I'm in the dark. I'm alone. I'm scared. That's the spirit of adoption at work in you. So the first step would be to cry out to him and then return to him and return to whatever it was that he was leading you to do, however he was prompting you to obey and respond. In repentance, we go back to those crossroads moments when we had a choice to choose God's way, but we said no, we go back to those moments, but this time we say yes to God. But there's another reason for the keep on at the beginning of our journey with Jesus, none of us are ready to handle the fullness of God's presence in us and with us. After all, we're talking about being filled and permeated with God. Who can handle that? So the filling happens in stages. Uh, Grace upon grace. That's how the the disciple John describes it. Being transformed from glory to glory. That's how Paul describes it. God is committed to keep on filling us with his spirit until every part of our being radiates with his goodness and with his presence and with his life. But there's one other reason for the keep on. And that's because not only are we not ready, many of us are not willing for God to fill us. Not willing? Why not? In a word, uh, fear. We, uh, we get afraid that if I open up to Jesus' baptism, it's going to make me look weird. I've, I've seen some people who are supposedly baptized in the Spirit, and that looks, that looks freaky. That looks weird. I don't, I don't want any part of that. That's really strange. I know that fear. I know that fear of, 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 of appearing weird. Um, or we're afraid that if we open up to Jesus' baptism, we might get swept up into something that's beyond our control. and and i know that fear too that's a fear for me to not be in control well the fact is it is beyond our control because the holy spirit's beyond our control this is the living god we're talking about this is not some force that we can control and manage and lasso and, and and use for our own means this is the creator god in us and with us. Jesus said, this is how he described the spirit. He said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. You can't control the wind and you can't control the spirit. And so, out of fear, we settle. We settle for a manageable form of religion and we hold the full reality at arm's length. And I love, uh, I, love the, I love this moment here in The Hobbit. We don't want any adventures here, thank you. You might try over the hill or across the water. But out of, uh, out of fear, we, we domesticate the wind and the fire of the Spirit. And we, we settle for a Christian life that's predictable, that's safe, where we feel in control. Even if it's no longer satisfying. We just say, well, this works for me. I know how this goes. There's nothing that's going to be unexpected around the corner, even if it's no longer satisfying. But we don't need to be afraid of the Spirit and His baptism because for the simple reason that we were made for this baptism. From the beginning of God's story with humans, God has revealed that it's His passion to give His very self to the world. He's always getting closer and closer and closer. God made it clear that his intent is to fill the whole universe with his glory, with everything that makes God be God, that there would be no place where God could not be known or experienced. Jesus's baptism doesn't make us weird. It makes us human. It makes us fully human. We are finally what we were created to be when God fills us and permeates us with his life. In the very beginning, how is is the creation described? God forms a human, and then he breathes his life into that human. Until that moment, that human was not alive. God's intent is not to make bad people good. God's intent is to bring dead people to life through his Spirit. We're finally who we're created to be when we're filled and we're animated and directed by the very life of God in us and with us. And so when God does this, uh, I love how William Barclay puts this. He says, into our helplessness and fatigue, there's the surge of new life and we're freshly empowered to do the undoable, to face the unfaceable, to bear the unbearable. And I don't know if that describes uh, what this summer What this season what this year what this month or even this week has been like for you where you would say yeah there's some things that feel undoable there's some things that feel unfaceable some things that feel unbearable that's that's my prayer for myself that's my prayer for this this church that's my prayer for this community to go god we, we we have dreams, we have hopes, we have prayers for what you could do in our lives and in this church community, but it's not a matter of you and I rolling up our sleeves and just trying harder and like let's just get out there and invite like crazy and have really, you know, crazy, awesome, quirky stuff that gets people's attention and draws them into this church and you know, we, we just we gotta be more amazing than any of the other churches out there. We gotta be more powerful or charismatic or winsome or we can we can do that for like a couple of days or a couple of weeks, and then we're just gonna burn out. We're gonna run out of steam, and we're not gonna have anything left because it's, that's that's you and I just doing this out of our own strength and power. This 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 neighborhood, this area that we're in, it, in a lot of ways, it's hard soil for the good news because there's a lot of people here that for whatever reason they would say, "I'm good without God. I've got I, I like my life. I like my job. I like how things are going." There's other people who would say i have my own form of spirituality that works for me and i've pieced together something that makes sense there's all kinds of reasons that this area is is hard soil for the gospel and you and i getting out there and just trying harder at a certain point we're going to run out of resources you and i the things that we're facing this week at our work in our relationships in our families at a certain point we're going to run out of steam and and maybe you already have maybe maybe the 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 day or week or month or season that this has been for you 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 would say yeah man a lot of things that feel undoable a lot of things that feel unfaceable a lot of things that feel unbearable my my prayer for me and for you and this community is for us to say god we're here but we cannot do this without you we can't do this without your spirit in us and with us if you but if you're the wind in the sail if you're the one driving this thing then like here we are let's have an adventure." But let's not take one more step into what we sense God calling us to do at our work, in our relationships, where he wants to take us in our own life. Let's not take one more step in our own strength.